0: So I just wanted to start off this week's episode by giving you guys a quick explanation as to why I decided to change the name of the podcast from the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast to the Women's Pelvic Health Podcast. I had an epiphany and I realized that since the mission of this platform is to be positive, uplifting, and informative, and to help people regain their health and focus on their health, not on their pain, why would the word pain be in the title? Instead, the word health should be. We all have one thing in common, our desire to heal, so let's focus on that. I hope that you guys are as excited about this new name as I am, and here is the new intro. Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Before we begin this episode, I want to take a minute to tell you guys about a life changing book called Pelvic Liberation. This book is written by Leslie Howard, a renowned yoga teacher who specializes in the use of yoga for pelvic floor disorders. After she suffered from her own hypertonic pelvic pain syndrome, she found tremendous relief through her yoga practice, which she talks about in great detail in the book. Throughout the past 12 years, Leslie has taught women of all ages how to practice yoga to help alleviate pelvic floor conditions. So I own this book, I read it so many times, and I truly believe that it is something that everyone listening, anyone who has any sort of pelvic pain could really benefit from. The book approaches yoga, breathing techniques, and self-inquiry through the lens of the female pelvis. Leslie does truly an amazing job of bringing a thoughtful, thorough, lighthearted, and therapeutic focus to a subject that can usually be difficult and scary. This book was written as a call to normalize the conversation around pelvic pain and to improve women's knowledge and awareness of their pelvis. The book includes detailed explanations of key yoga postures and breathing practices that are designed to heal and awaken the female pelvis. So Leslie and I have worked together to be able to provide all of the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast listeners a 10% discount on the book when you order it directly through her website. Her website is www.lesliehowardyoga.com. That's spelled Leslie L-E-S-L-I-E Howard H-O-W-A-R-D Yoga Y-O-G-A. And I will also include the direct link into the show notes if you want to access it that way. Um, and so, if you add the book to your cart on her website, when you check out, there will be a box for a discount code. Into that box, enter the code PELVIC FLOOR YOGA10, one word, no spaces. That's PELVIC FLOOR YOGA10, and you will receive a 10% discount that will be directly applied to your order. i am here with dr joshua gonzalez md he is a fellowship trained in sexual medicine and specializes in the management of male and female sexual dysfunctions uh so some of these sexual issues include Hormone deficiencies, menopause, sexual arousal, orgasm, ejaculation, libido, sexual pain, penile curvature, erectile dysfunction, and many more issues. Um, Dr. Gonzalez also treats a variety of urological conditions, including benign prosthetic disease, voiding dysfunction, and male infertility. Um, So thank you so much for being here and taking the time to do this at your lunch break. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. So how briefly just tell us how you got started in this career and your journey so far.
1: Sure. So um, when I was doing my urology training uh, as a resident, we kind of, you're kind of meant to um, choose a subspecialty if you don't want to do general urology. And very quickly, I was sort of attracted to men's health as a, as a focus um, of my career. And so um, I applied for several fellowships. The one I ended up uh getting which was my first choice um, was one that not only focused on male sexual health but um incorporated female sexual health into the fellowship also right which is something as a urologist um we're not taught right um so it was kind of exciting i had never uh, really sort of ventured into that space Uh, i spent a year doing a fellowship in male and female sexual dysfunction um and ended up really liking um having the tools to treat both men and women i think it just makes me a a better physician and can work with a lot more different patients
0: for sure. So we can the focus is usually on women, but I always love when there's a male voice on here Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, men have pelvic pain and sexual health issues just as much as women do. Um, So since sexual function and fertility are such vital components of a man's overall health and, you know, these issues are often overlooked, but again, just as prevalent as women's uh, sexual health issues. Um, And, you know, in both men and women, it's also such a taboo, it's Mm. not really, but these are conditions that you treat a lot in your practice. So can you kind of give us like a brief introduction about these conditions and the conditions that you kind of treat in specific regarding men's sexual health and yeah, how you help patients with them?
1: Sure, yeah, so, If we're just talking about men specifically, um, you know, I treat the common sexual health complaints, things like erectile dysfunction, uh, low sexual desire, um, ejaculatory dysfunction, whether that be premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation or painful ejaculation. Um, I do a lot of hormonal management for guys with low testosterone or other hormonal issues, um, especially if those hormonal issues are affecting their sexual health. Right. Um, It's an important component of, uh, of treating their problem,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then when you kind of work in this space, you kind of quickly figure out that a lot of people have pain right. related to sex. Um, it's not something that I realized really until I was in my fellowship, and then in, uh, eventually in practice. But um, when someone has pain associated with sex, um, it really um, can negatively impact their you know quality of life, their self esteem. It can ruin their relationships with others. It can cause them to avoid relationships, and mm-hmm. so. Um, understanding how pain um, uh, intersects with other um, sexual functions right. uh, is, is an important uh, thing to understand. So
0: For sure. And then I saw an article on your website that was called Why Getting Hard is Hard and How Pelvic Floor Physical Therapy Can Help That. So I just right. thought that that was also an interesting article. And a few weeks ago I had my pelvic floor physical therapist came on the podcast and talked about uh, the men that she treats and how 30% of her practice are actually men. Right. Um, so can you talk a bit about that as well?
1: Yeah. So I think in general, pelvic pain is, um, um, not well recognized in the medical community. It's really not something that we're taught. Uh Um, at least not in neurological training, maybe perhaps in other specialties, but, um, so there's a, there's a gross, um, Mm -hmm. underdiagnosing of, People who have um, pelvic floor or other sort of myofascial issues right. that could be contributing to their pain. Um, I think that there is a growing recognition in women mm-hmm. um, because um, you know gynecologists um, or primary care doctors who see uh, primarily women, you know, are doing genital exams, and women I think just in overall are better about talking uh, to their providers about. Um, health issues.
0: For sure, um,
1: men just notoriously are bad at about even seeing a doctor, and then even when they see a doctor, they rarely talk about
0: what's going on.
1: What's going on yeah. with them, right? So um, there uh, is an even greater disparity, I think, in me- male pelvic pain mm-hmm. because you're not getting patients talking to their providers about their pain issues, right. and then even when they do, it's often misdiagnosed as like prostatitis or some some. Seemingly infectious problem when it's sure. not when it's actually just a pelvic floor issue, um, right. and they often get better with with physical therapy, so um, and but, but there, there is data out there mm-hmm. that um, Demonstrate that that a variety of sexual health issues can improve with physical therapy, so erectile dysfunction mm-hmm. um, uh, Can improve with physical therapy ejaculatory control so right. if, if you have someone with premature ejaculation um, a lot of times, as an initial step, I'll send them to physical therapy because they usually have um, poor control of their right. of their pelvic floor, um, and that can often alleviate um, their problem or fix fix it partially. Sometimes mm-hmm. they require medications as well, but I think it's an important component because maybe you can get somebody to a normal ejaculatory time without having to put them on a medication. Yeah. Um, so, and then certainly any kind of pain. So people who have penile pain or pain with ejaculation. I mean, that that is almost um, exclusively treated with pelvic floor physical therapies.
0: So. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a harmless treatment.
1: Yeah, and I just think we need to do a better job in the medical community of recognizing when someone has a pelvic floor issue um, and educating our colleagues because yeah. it's just, like I said at the beginning, it's just sort of um, grossly misunderstood and often underdiagnosed.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, in terms of female sexual health, sexual health issues affect women as well of course of all ages you know not just older women not just younger women but everyone in general and women are also some I don't want to say ignored but their providers don't always take some issues that they might have Mm -hmm. seriously enough and I think that another problem with women's sexual health issues is that they get used to living with these issues and they don't really they think it's normal they think it's normal because they've been used to this quality of life for so long, they don't really remember what it was like before they had these issues or they don't really tell themselves like, this is not normal. I need to do something about this. But having your sexual health is one of the most important and rewarding parts of being a woman. So how do you help women in your practice regain their sexual health?
1: Um, Well, so I think you brought up a good point. I think, I think in general, um, we as medical professionals, um, I'm going to exclude myself from what I'm about to say mm-hmm. because I have a sp- particular interest in sexual right. health. But I think in general, most physicians don't feel comfortable talking about sex. It's not uh, something that's really emphasized that much in our medical education. I think there are certain sociocultural you know, uh, beliefs uh, about what what is appropriate to ask people about the kind of sex that they're having, and and wh- if it's satisfying, or uh, and so the conversation just never starts right. unless a patient takes the initiative, right? Um, or you have a provider who has a particular interest in sexual health, but a lot of times it's not asked. Um, a lot of times patients, if they have the courage to bring it up, um. Are often met with resistance Mm -hmm. um, or skepticism um, or just misinformation. I mean, they just, you know, um, they're told if you're a woman who has pain with uh, intercourse Mm -hmm. and you, you know, talk to a doctor, depending on who's receiving what you're telling them, you may be told it's just in your head. You may be told you just need to relax, drink a glass of wine. It's your partner that you are unhappy with. You're depressed. I mean, there's right. a a host of things that women are told if they if they um, complain about pain. Yeah. And um, that's can be devastating because mm-hmm. a, I think a lot of women sort of approach that thinking, oh, am I imagining this? Is this in my head? And the last thing they need is for someone to to try to convince them of that because it's not in right. Their head. Um, so I I you know make it a point, obviously, to talk extensively about um, what sex is like for my patients, what kind of sex that they're having, um, what kind of sex they would like to have if mm-hmm. they're not currently able to have um, sex, um, so that we can establish, number one, a timeline. Is this a lifelong thing? When did it start to be right. painful, or when did the problem start? And then what are the goals going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have someone who has pain with stimulation of um their, you know, vulva or vestibule or vagina, but they don't care or often engage in penetrative intercourse. Right. Then the goals are going to be different than someone who ha- who really wants to have sex with her male partner on a regular basis. Right. So I think s- establishing goals is really important, um, and I think just approaching this whole topic with both men and women, um, from a non-judgmental space and saying, I believe you, I believe that you have this problem. Let's work on figuring out why you have this problem and and come up with some solutions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what are some ways that you treat painful intercourse in women or the medical term vaginismus? Mm -hmm. What are kind of like the treatment steps that you use in your practice?
1: So I think it it just starts with a uh, a really – sort of careful history like mm-hmm. again sort of establishing a timeline when this started what kinds of sexual activity cause pain um looking for clues um in the history that can sort of um uh indicate that there may be some sort of hormonal issue because sometimes these things are hormonal um and then following that up with a, a really sort of um focused exam physical mm-hmm. exam mm-hmm. so if they're complaining about pain with penetrative intercourse for instance right. um, looking at the genital tissues under magnification um, looking not just in the vagina which you know most gynecology gynecologists do as a part of their routine you know well woman visit right. but looking at you know the vestibular tissue which is a, a sort of thin rim of tissue at the entryway to the vagina that carries a lot of pathology it can cause mm-hmm. a lot of pain it's a uh, a big source of pain when women when when women complain about pain with intercourse right um looking for um symmetry looking for uh, you know assessing the size of the clitoris and other areas in the in the genital mm-hmm. tissues um and so once you start there and it gives you clues as to what mm-hmm. potentially could be the source of their pain um doing a sort of basic Evaluation of their muscles. Right. Um, we're not physical. Th- I'm not a physical therapist, but um, I can do I can see on the physical exam when a woman is clenching. Right. Um, and it's involuntary. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. I have to tell them just relax if you can. Yeah. Um, uh, and tr- and try to relax your pelvic floor and a lot of times they don't even know that they're doing it yeah. so just that basic assessment will ov- ov- Often clue me into okay this person needs to see a physical therapist because a, a large component of their pain issue is is them Just involuntarily tightening, things. right? Um, medically, you know I have evaluate their hormones and figure out if there is a hormonal explanation to why they're having mm-hmm. pain and if there is then we talk about treatments um, whether it's locally applied um, hormonal treatments or systemic hormonal treatments uh, mm-hmm. kind of depends on what the problem is and, and um, what the patient's uh, hormone profiles look like.
0: Right. And then I wanted to ask you, which relates to that is about women's hormonal health and mm-hmm. how that relates to some of the issues that you see.
1: So um, one of the main issues I see, especially in premenopausal women mm-hmm. is um women who develop pain with intercourse um, at some point in their life. Usually it's like I had a period of my life where I had sex, it was enjoyable, it was not painful, um, and then it just started hurting and now right. I can't have sex anymore. Um, there are a lot of those women uh, and a lot of women in general, millions and millions mi- millions of women, are on birth control pills and um, birth control pills can predispose some women to uh, having a sort of functionally low testosterone state and one of the areas in the genital tissues that sort of suffers or becomes chronically inflamed and unhealthy in these low testosterone states uh, is the vestibule and so women will often complain of dryness and pain with sort of uh, penetration Um, and they essentially become like a menopausal woman. They develop similar atrophy, mm-hmm. but it's medically induced atrophy, it's medically induced vestibulodynia, it's medically induced um, pain uh-huh. related to their birth control. So um, we often will do a hormonal evaluation. I tell them the sort of mechanism, which is a little bit scientific as to why it creates a low testosterone state, mm-hmm. um, and tell them um, you know that the first step is probably gonna be getting them off of the birth control pill, and um, you know, if they're able to be sexually active at that point, finding them a um, equally effective contraceptive method, mm-hmm. something like an IUD, which is not going right. to have the same systemic effects on hormone levels, right? Um, and then kind of reevaluating where their hormones sit once they're off the pill. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of those women will have persistent low testosterone states because, of a protein that is elevated by the pill called sex hormone binding globulin that often will remain elevated and that protein binds testosterone and doesn't allow the body to use it. So um, many of those women, even after getting off the pill, will require systemic testosterone therapies to Mm -hmm. sort of undo the problem.
0: So interesting. And there was an article, another article I found on your website that talked about the oral birth control pill oral contraceptives and the title was how oral contraceptives wreak havoc on the female body and i think that this is something kind of even like i've been talking about all these different issues for years now and this is still something that i have just been i mean i've never been on the birth control pill i had the iud for like seven years and i recently got it taken out but No, doctors never tell you about, a a gynecologist actually to be specific, never really tell you about the side effects that oral contraceptives have on on your system.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a public health perspective, right, um, we've done an amazing job of decreasing the rate of sort of Teenage or just unwanted pregnancies in general, right? Um, and that is largely due, I think, to um, the medical community kind of pushing right. contraceptives, primarily in the form of oral birth control pills, um, on women at a young age. And, mm-hmm. and so, from a public health perspective, that's that's great that that you know we're we've lessened the number the number of unwanted pregnancies. I think the problem is is that. Um, the birth control pill kind of gets handed out like candy. Like, mm-hmm. here, take this. There's nothing will be, be be wrong with you. Right. And if people are told about side effects, they often have nothing to do with sex. Right. They're right. like, you might gain weight. You might, you know, sometimes it might make you feel depressed. You might be emotional. You might. Right. Uh, it might worsen acne. Um, and and those are all important side effects to tell women, but they should also probably be told hey, in a a percentage of women, we see that um, sex can sometimes become painful or Mm -hmm. you might have problems with lubrication um, because then a woman can at least make an informed decision. Right. Um, I don't think that birth control pills should be like pulled from the market or not offered to women, but as in anything that we prescribe in medicine, you know, you have to have a realistic conversation about what the risks are of putting uh, of taking the medication and if i th- i think my my, my theory mm-hmm. is is that if more women were told this yeah um or you know if they're getting put on these pills in adolescence and their mothers or their fathers are with them at the time and the parents hear like oh my kid might like sex might be painful that's i never knew that then there may be more people that are like well what are the other options right and the funny part is, is that you know the gynecological community has come out on its own mm-hmm. in the last few years and said there's a like published literature on this that the IUD and other sort of long acting um, reproductive um, uh, contraceptives, sorry, um, are just as effective, if not yeah. more effective than the birth control pill. Right. But there's a lot of sort of um, uh, misunderstanding about what an IUD is, the mm-hmm. risks associated in having an IUD in. Um, you know, sort of old wives' tales that get passed down from prior generations in terms of the risk. So, um, you know, the fact that they published that literature and said an IUD is just as good, if not better, than a birth control pill um, is funny because it's not being offered quite as often as the birth control pill is. Yeah.
0: And what was interesting is that yesterday when I was doing the podcast with Stephanie Prendergast, the pelvic floor physical therapist, she was talking about the birth control pill as well. And she kind of said that some people have a predisposition to develop these hormonal issues when they're on it and some women don't. And she said she wishes there was some sort of diagnostic test to find out who would react poorly and who wouldn't. But there is no way to know until you take it. And then unfortunately, if you develop issues and that's when then you have to treat.
1: There is some there was like one study that did look at sort of um, um genetic differences uh-huh. in in women who developed problems related to the birth control pill um it's the data is very limited obviously right. because not very many people are sort of studying this actively but um it did find that there are certain um discrepancy genetic discrepancies that could potentially predispose and right. it's in the it's in the androgen receptor so and, androgen receptor, Androgen is just um, the family of hormones that testosterone belongs to. So mm-hmm. the testosterone receptor variability in that based on at a genetic level, at a DNA sort of level, um, uh, may predispose certain women to, um, to having these issues more than others. But again, it's not there is no test. Like, right. Right? You can't Yeah. poke someone's finger, grab and you, know. take a spot of blood yeah. and know immediately that they're going to respond poorly to this. So interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just about trying to educate both providers so that they can have re- realistic conversations and the patients about yeah. what, their, what their risks are.
0: For sure. Are there any resources that you think would be helpful for people that like you've used or that you recommend to patients um, or like any other information that you want to share? Um,
1: I think so. Stephanie Prendergast, who you just mentioned, mm-hmm. is a good friend and colleague of mine. She has an amazing website. Um, uh, pelvicpainrehab.com mm-hmm. that has a blog um, yeah. and they have contributors all the time because they have several uh, physical therapists all, over, all they have many physical therapists all over the country um, and so they're always talking about um, these issues right. um, more so than someone like myself could just because I'm just me and I have a clinical practice <laughs> <that> <laughs> doesn't allow me to, to um, blog quite as much uh-huh. um, so I think her website is a great resource and um, You know, there uh, are certain vulvodynia societies that have websites with information. Um, There are some academic uh, organizations, um, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, or ISWISH, um, I-S-S-W-S-H dot org. has some information uh, about uh, women's sexual health issues, so those are the, the ones that I primarily mm-hmm. sort of use, um, or uh, sometimes will contribute to right. myself um, as sort of a guest blogger. But um, yeah, that I mean that that's kind of it. I th- I think you know it's a slippery slope sometimes when when patients try to educate themselves because there is actually valuable information on the internet, but there's a a lot of scary material yeah. also. And a lot of times, um, what Stephanie and I will do when we're sort of working together with a patient um, is try to encourage them to actually stay off the internet. Yeah. Because um, a lot of this stuff, you know, especially if you have chronic pain, it creates anxiety, and your anxiety then feeds back into your pain. And if someone is spending, you know, all hours of the night on the internet researching something that's gonna that it's tells gonna them that they're well. never gonna. Yeah get cured, Right. that's going to worsen their problem. Right. And so um, part of their treatment is, you know, trusting in us as providers that, that we will find a solution for them and, and not sort of spinning out on the, right. you know, on the,
0: the Dark web. hole of Google. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And I think that we've all been down that dark hole. Yeah, it's so easy, right? <laughs> yeah. The
1: information is so easy to access. Yeah. But, you know, you just have to be careful because sometimes it's misrepresentative Yeah. or just mm, Mis- Wrong informed. information. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. Where can people contact you, or if they want to come make an appointment with you? Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm based in Los Angeles. Um, my office is in sort of the Mid Wilshire area. Um, we are taking new patients all the time. Um, men and women with uh sexual health issues. The phone number here is three two three six zero seven two eight nine five. Um, you should definitely check out my website. It has just an over, overview kind of summary um, of a lot of the issues that we treat here. Um, there is a sort of media resources slash blog area where there are some articles, some of which we referred to today. Mm-hmm. Um, my website's just my name, um, joshuagonzalezmd.com. So it's J-O-S-H-U-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z-M-D.com. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a way actually to reach out to the office, primarily to make an appointment through the website. Um, occasionally we will get um, general questions. I don't love to give medical information via email. So right. usually we'll have patients we will do a sort of a screening call. In my office will call them and, and say, you know, if you want to talk more about this, just go ahead and make an appointment. Um, but, yeah, those are the primary cool. ways to find me. I'm also on um, Twitter at uh, sexmedla.com. Uh, yeah, that's it. At Sex Med LA, <laughs> and on Instagram at Joshua Gonzalez MD. So amazing. Those, those are the ways to follow me.
0: Thank you for your, all your information. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Of course. <laughs>